The following message was given by Dr. Ron Walborn at Refocus 2018, Awaken to the Spirit. All right, tonight we're going to talk about healing. And um, I teach a course uh, at ATS at at the seminary on divine healing. In fact, I'm in the middle of it right now. I've got uh, about 45 students down in New York City. I teach on Thursday afternoons. And, um, and, and so I had a pastor come up to me a few years ago, and he said, he said uh, you teach a course on healing? I go, yeah. He said, you've got to be careful with that stuff. You know there's counterfeit out there. I'm like, okay. I said, can I ask you a question? If there's counterfeit, you know what that also means? He goes, what? It means it's dangerous. I said, no, it means if there's counterfeit, there's also the real. And he goes, yeah, but there's a lot more counterfeit than there is real. I go, really? So you're saying to me Satan is more powerful than God. Who is your God? I said, are, are you serious? He goes, oh, you know, this stuff's dangerous. You know, Satan is counterfeiting this stuff all the time. And I said, yeah, but our God is greater. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And I don't, know what, I don't care what the enemy's counterfeiting, the real is always more powerful. No, no, you've got to be careful. I said, all right, all right. You know, let me go with your line of argumentation here for a minute. I want you to reach in your pocket. Do you have any money? He goes, yeah, i got money. I said, give it to me right now. There's counterfeit out there. <laughs> and I am worried for you that you might have stumbled onto some counterfeit. So give me all your money. What? what? Give me your money right now. And I got a little intense with him. He goes, you know, you're scary. I go, no, you're scary. Because our God wants to heal people and set the captives free. And you have developed a theology of fear, not faith. And it's time to recapture a theology of faith. It's time to stop living in fear, people of God. So, Father, tonight, we invite you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you. You have inhabited the praise of your people. You're here, you're moving, you're working. And so we now ask that tonight as we focus on the gospel of healing. Jesus, you did not come and preach a truncated gospel that was just about saving souls. You preached a gospel that saves us, body, soul, spirit, everything about us. Your, your gospel transforms us, yes, at the core of our being, but all the way to the surface. Your gospel has always touched and healed the sick, healed those emotionally wounded. You are a healing God. Lord, healing isn't just what you do. It's, it's who you are. You are Jehovah Rapha. You're the God, our healer. And we welcome you here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, it was a few years ago now, I took a group of about 40 students over to Taipei, Taiwan, and there was a conference over there on uh, missions, and I was one of the speakers, and, um, and there were students not only from NIAC, there were students from Christian colleges and, uh, and some non-Christian colleges from all over the United States, and we gathered there in Taipei. And um, th- there was a young lady, her name was Meredith, and she was from Cody, Wyoming. And I can't remember what college she was from, but I can remember Meredith very well because Meredith was confined to a wheelchair. And she'd been in a wheelchair for about uh, two years. And I I can't remember exactly what the issues were, but there were issues with her nervous system. She was unable to control her legs. And so uh, when this conference came up, she begged her parents. She said, I want to go to this conference. And they said, oh, we don't think it's a good idea. And she said, no, I know God's called me to the mission field, and I'm not even going to let this disability keep me. 
And, and so her parents took her to the airport in a wheelchair. Uh, they helped her get on board the plane. And then a missionary met her over in Taipei and, and brought her to the conference. Next afternoon of the conference, I was actually doing a workshop on healing, uh, kind of training people how to pray, how to minister. And, um, and Meredith was there in that workshop. And so when we finished the workshop, uh, you know, we offered time for prayer. And uh, a few of us leaders gathered around Meredith. We anointed her with oil, uh, according to James 5. If there's anyone sick, let them call the elders of the church and uh, let them anoint with oil in the prayer. Faith will heal the sick. And so we were following the James 5 model in that, con- in that instance. Um, and again, as soon as we began to pray, the presence of the Lord came on her. Uh, you could tell God was doing something, but there was no physical healing right away. We said, okay, we'll pray again, Meredith. And so that night, I think we prayed again. I think we prayed for her three times. And every time we prayed, the presence of the Lord would just come on her and minister to her. But again, no physical healing. On Tuesday night at this conference, uh, the students who were from the U.S. were staying in kind of dorm accommodations. And, um, And they were in the dorm on Tuesday night. And they were all kind of talking. And there were no leaders around, no pastors And a couple of the students said, hey, Meredith, let's pray for you again. And so a bunch of crazy college students just gathered around Meredith, and they began to pray. They began to ask Jesus to touch and heal her. And all of a sudden, Meredith stopped them, and she said, hey, guys, something happened. I think it's time for me to walk. And for the first time in two years, she gets up out of that wheelchair, and she begins to walk. And the, the students went nuts. Nobody slept that night. They were just the worship services and... Then this is cutting in and out. Is the battery going bad in it? Or is it just me? Okay, maybe just me. Maybe my ears cutting in and out. (laughs) Somebody pray for me for healing in a little bit. (laughs) Uh, So so, um, the next day, we went on a bus to southern Taiwan to work with um, some of the missionaries down there. And one of the other leaders said, Meredith, maybe you should take your wheelchair with you, you know, just in case. Because she'd been in this wheelchair for two years. Her legs were atrophied. The muscles were atrophied. And, um, and she goes, no way. Jesus healed me. I don't need no stinking wheelchair. You know, she wouldn't take it. She refused. And, uh, and sure enough, man, she was all over the place. Uh, she kept right up with us. At the end of the day, we were all exhausted. Everyone was exhausted except Meredith. She basically jumped up the stairs of that bus, uh, just so excited about what God had, had done. Now, the best part of that story was she didn't call and tell her parents what happened. So her, her mom and dad show up at the airport with the wheelchair expecting her to be wheeled out, you know, by the, the flight attendants. And, and they're, they're standing there with the wheelchair at the gate when Meredith comes running off that plane. And, uh, and they say that her father fell on his knees and just began to praise God for what God did in Meredith's life. Now, here's why I tell you that story. I think it's interesting that elders, pastors, leaders prayed for her three times But Jesus chose to heal her when a bunch of non-leaders, non-elder type, just normal Christian college school, you know, students just prayed for her. Now, here's why I think that's important. In my denomination, we have practiced the ministry of healing according to a James 5 model where the pastor and maybe some elders pray. But I feel like we've neglected Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Acts where Jesus commissioned the 12 and the 72 and the 120 and all the disciples to go preach the kingdom and heal the sick. You ever notice it doesn't say pray for the sick, it says heal the sick. 
And, um, and I sometimes wonder if we've kind of pulled the ministry of healing too far inside the walls of the church. And I want to tell you something. I have a theory. Last night you heard one of my theories that modernity and our worldview has impacted our spiritual perception. But I also believe that we're not really using the gifts of the Spirit and, and the ministry of healing the way Jesus intended. In fact, I have a lecture I do called Spiritual Gifts, Tools for Building the Kingdom, Not Toys for Entertaining the Church. And I feel like that we've often used the gifts of the Spirit in a very inward way And I feel like when we begin to take the meat to the street and use the gifts of the Spirit and the ministry of healing in an outward way, advancing, I feel like we're going to see more healing inwardly as well in that process. In fact, let me show you a quote. This comes from a guy named A.W. Tozer. Uh, You may have heard of Tozer. Uh, He's from our denomination. Uh, He says this, In the missionary society with which I have for many years been associated, I've noticed that the power of God has always hovered over our frontiers. Miracles have accompanied our advances and have ceased when and where we have allowed ourselves to become satisfied and cease to advance. The creed of power cannot save a movement from barrenness. There must also be the work of power. So what Tozer is saying there is just what I was laying out to you, that I think it's time for us to begin to understand that the ministry of healing and even the gifts of the Spirit are not just for us to use on one another to entertain the church. No, they're tools for advancing the kingdom of God. And perhaps another reason why we're not seeing the level of power that I think the New Testament witnesses to and testifies to is, is that it's time for us to be a little more proactive about what we do out there and not just in here. Now, please don't get me wrong. I still think we should edify the body, and I think the body is a great place for us to grow in these ministries, but I think we're supposed to take it to the streets. Now, tonight, I want to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 8. It's a real short passage, four verses, and I, I want to look at a passage where we see Jesus ministering healing, and, 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 and there's a leper in this passage that receives healing. And so I, I want to look at this, and, it, and it's not going to be an apologetic or a defense of healing ministry. I, I'm just assuming if I didn't scare you away last night, then either somebody didn't tell you what I did last night and you're here tonight, or um, you're convinced. And, and you want to be part of the advance of the kingdom. And so th- this isn't an argument for healing. Let's just assume we all believe it. This is training. This is training and equipping in two areas. First of all, how do I receive the healing I need? And then secondly, how do I give it away? How do I minister to it? Now, in this passage, let me set the context for you, and, and then we'll look at it. Um, this is right after, after the Sermon on the Mount. And, um, and, and Jesus has multitudes of people around him. There's large crowds, um, and there's a leper. And this leper must have been listening maybe on an opposing hillside because he obviously wasn't in the crowd because lepers were highly contagious. They weren't allowed to be near people. They had to stay uh, you know, quite a distance away. And if the wind was blowing, they had to stay 150 feet away. And if a leper got too close to the crowd, people would you know, throw rocks at him. And the leper had to warn people that he was coming because not only was there a physical contagious issue, but if someone came into contact with that leper, they were also declared ceremonially unclean. 
And they couldn't be with their family. They couldn't be with their worship community. They couldn't be, you know, in their, their, the fellowship of, 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 their, of their people and their family. And, and so uh, this was an issue. And so this leper had to stay at a distance. Okay? Now, in this passage, this leper must have heard something that inspired him to take a major risk and to find his way to Jesus. And so look what happens in this passage, okay? Uh, when he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Okay, real short passage, but there's two sets of lessons here tonight. First of all, uh, there's the leper. How do we receive healing? When when I'm in need of a touch from Jesus, uh, what are some things that this leper does that that are instructive for me? That how, how do I learn this? And and again, some of you tonight you can immediately relate to the leper. You're like, man, I need to know how to approach Jesus for healing. But even if you can't, please take notes anyhow, because life has a way of getting us all, and we're eventually going to need to know how to receive. And and the leper does some things, I think, that are very helpful. But then the second uh, set of lessons is, how do I minister healing? Because Jesus shows us how to minister to broken, hurting people better than anyone that's ever lived. And so there's some things that Jesus does that if you're a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, you can learn how to minister by watching what he models to us. And so let's take a look, first of all, uh, at the leper. I want to talk about four principles for receiving healing. Now, this is not some kind of a, oh, if I do A, B, C, and D, you know, uh, this is just some, a place to start. If you're hurting, and if you need to approach Jesus, the leper does some things I think that are helpful. And the first thing we see in this passage is that there's a response of faith. If you notice in this passage, it says that the leper came to Jesus. He didn't wait for Jesus to come to him. Uh, he didn't wait for somebody to come get him. He took a major risk. In fact, somebody said to me once, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And in this case, this guy was taking a major risk because in order for him to get to Jesus, he had to probably dodge some rocks that were being thrown at him because people were saying, get away, what are you doing? Get back. And and so for him to come to Jesus and ask for prayer, it was a huge step of faith. Now, for you and I, it's really not that much risk what are we risking? We're risking our reputation. We're risking that people will think we're weak. And yet, I don't know about you, but I often don't ask for help. You know, I I suffer alone in silence instead of saying, brother, sister, would you pray for me? And so there is a sense in which I have to humble myself and say to my friends, I need a touch from Jesus. And it's a step of faith. And I think it's something we've got to, we've got to learn to do. Um, I I started to tell you last night about a story of a nine-year-old blind girl that received her sight. Let me tell you that full story. Uh, It was in Lima, Peru, and I was preaching on a Sunday morning on uh, Ephesians chapter 5. I I wasn't even preaching on healing. I was preaching on the filling of the Holy Spirit. And and at the end of my sermon, I gave an invitation through my Spanish interpreter 
for anyone that wanted prayer to come forward. And this little girl stands up to her feet in the center aisle and she waits for her mom to get out and she grabs her mom by the arm and makes her way to the front. And so immediately I knew, uh uh-oh, she's blind. And I got to tell you, I was hoping she wanted prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because I did not have faith for a nine-year-old blind girl. And I'm up in the front and I see her coming and, uh, and other people were coming, but she was the first one in line. And so with my interpreter, I went down to the front. I can still picture her standing down here. And, and I asked this question through my interpreter. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Now that's, that's how I ask that question always, because I don't want anyone to think Ron can do anything. I, wanted to, I want people to know that if anyone's going to do something, it's going to be Jesus. So what do you want Jesus to do for you? And she spoke back and she said, I want to see. <sighs> Listen, I just make the faces you're making inside, okay? (laughs) And so I prayed that prayer that Pastor prayed last night. I prayed that prayer you've prayed. (gasps) Okay, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You ever prayed that prayer? Yeah, the problem is we're making a living out of that prayer. We don't expect it to get answered. You know, you ask me once, I'll help your unbelief. Now start to live in faith. And so I I put my hands on on her cheeks and I put my thumb on her eyes. And I, I, I just began to pray, Lord, touch this little girl, bring healing. And I, I, I prayed a few things. And I, and I could be honest, it wasn't real inspiring. My interpreter is, is praying, you know, what I was praying after. And all of a sudden, I felt tears begin to wet my hands. And all of a sudden, I, I wasn't even finished with my prayer. She pushed my hand aside. And she looks up at the wall and she starts to read the scripture verses that were written in Spanish on the wall. Now, I found out her story later. This girl had obviously been born able to see, had learned to read. And so she's reading now these verses. And then she runs out the back. Her mother runs after her. My interpreter runs after them. <laughs> I'm up in the front with a whole line of people. I, I, I don't speak any Spanish. Un poquito, okay? And, uh, and so I'm, just, I'm going down the line praying what I knew to pray. Mas, Señor, and fuego. And <laughs> they started falling over and it worked, so. Let it come. More, Lord. Ma, senor. Um, but I'm kind of thinking, well, this is a little rude. You know, she gets healed and runs, leaves, you know. Kind of like the lepers, you know. Could you say thank you, maybe? Um, but in about 10 minutes, she comes through the back door holding the hand of a middle-aged man who I found out was her dad. Her dad had walked away from the Lord when his little girl lost her sight. And when she got healed, the first thing she wanted to do was say, hey, Daddy, look what Jesus did. And that morning we saw the second miracle happen when that man rededicated his life to the Lord. Now, what is it about a little child that has that kind of faith? And why is it that as we grow older, we grow into unbelief? You see, Jesus knew there was something about the faith of a child that was powerful and And he calls us to walk in that kind of faith. And so I I think the first thing we learn from this leper is it's time to take a bit of a risk. It's time to begin to step out and say, Jesus, I need a touch from you. And so if you're in need of a touch, I think that's a good place to start. The second thing that we see in this leper is there's a recognition of power. Uh, In this passage, it's very insightful as to what he does when he gets to Jesus. It says that he bowed down, he knelt before him. He addresses him as Lord, kurios. Now, let me tell you what's significant about this. This is a position of worship and adoration. 
In fact, the Greek word proskuneto means to bow down to worship. So this isn't just respect. This is a recognition that Jesus is the living God. There is a spirit of worship here. There is adoration. And I think this is important because when you and I are sick, when we're suffering, when we are disabled by something, when we come to Jesus, we need to worship. We need to recognize his power and get our eyes off our own stuff and get our eyes onto him. And I, and I think when this leper does this, it's him turning his gaze away from the things that rob him of faith, rob him of life, and he looks to the one who has all power. And I, I think that's significant. And I think that when we come to the Lord, and we're going to do this tonight, when we, when we come in prayer, I think it's helpful. I know it is for me to begin with a spirit of worship and adoration, not neediness. Oh, Jesus, I need a touch. I need this. I need... No, no, no. Lord, you are awesome. I get my eyes off myself. I get my eyes onto you and I worship you. I recognize who you are. You see, I think Jesus can heal without prayer. I think sometimes even in the midst of worship, when he comes and inhabits the praise of his people, when he begins to rest upon his people, in fact, I think there's healing happen as we worship and adore him. Let me give you an example of this. Um, when I was pastoring in California one Sunday morning, we were getting ready to start our second service. And one of the guys from our church, he was a tall guy, his name was Blake. Uh, he comes in the back door and, and worship was just beginning. And I was still in the back. I hadn't gone up to the front yet. And Blake comes walking in and, and he was walking like this. He was kind of bent over and he was holding his back and I could tell he was in pain. And I walked up to him and I leaned over and I go, hey, Blake, what's up? And he goes, oh, hey, Ron, how you doing? I go, well, better than you. What's wrong? He goes, oh, man, I put my back out this week. I'm in so much pain. And I looked at him and I said, dude, you could have mailed your tithe check. <laughs> I, I actually did say that. That's, that's a good pastor, okay? And <laughs> he laughed and he said, stop, don't make me laugh. It hurts, Okay. And I go, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I, I knew God wanted me to come to worship today. And so, you know, I'm here. And I said, well, let's pray for you. And he goes, well, no, no, no. let me get to a seat. Worship has already started. You guys can pray for me afterwards. I'll, I'll just, I'll lay down here in the back. I'll be fine. And I said, all right, well, we'll pray for you as soon as the service is over. So the service finished and I kind of went looking for Blake. Well, when I went looking for Blake, he found me first. And he came walking right up the center aisle, straight as an arrow, big smile on his face and he gets up to me and I went who prayed for you and I was I was ticked somebody beat me you know to the ministry and and he goes nobody nobody prayed for me I go well what happened he goes well I'm laying down in the back you guys are worshiping worship's going on and the Lord speaks to me and says Blake stand up and worship me I said Lord I came to worship nobody else would come in this much pain isn't that enough Lord said stand up and worship me so Blake said he got to his feet as best as he could, and he's kind of standing like this. And he said, all of a sudden, the Lord says, Blake, lift your hands, worship me. Lord, he said, I, Lord, I came to church. I'm standing. I, now you're going to make me lift my hands. Come on, Lord. Lord says, lift your hands. So Blake, as best he could, tried to lift his hands. And he said, as he lifted his hands, something popped in his back. And he goes, and I had a divine chiropractic moment. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, my back went in. And he said, but Ron, all the pain was gone too. 
And if you've ever had back pain, you know that even when you get an adjustment, you're still in pain for days to follow. He said, the Lord touched me. All the pain's gone. All the irritation's gone. I am completely healed. And nobody even prayed for me. Why? Because I, I think when we get our eyes off of our stuff and onto Him, there is power in His presence. And there is power in getting our eyes on Him and off of ourselves. And so when we come tonight, one of the things we're going to do before we pray is we're going to worship a little bit. And, and Peter's going to come and we're going to do some of that uh, at the end of the sermon. Well, there's a third thing this leper does. The third thing is this. Not only is there a recognition of power, and now I'm not advancing. There it is. The third thing we see is this. He requests in humility. He requests in humility. So he comes to the Lord. He, he is worshiping him. Now, remember, he comes in faith and he comes with a certain amount of boldness. But I love the way he asks. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, he did not come and say, hey, you've healed others, now it's my turn. You know, he doesn't come say, you know, okay, you know, I'm here. Uh, I've seen that you've done other things, you know, for other people, and now I'm here, now it's my turn. Uh, you know, it's, uh, heal me. See, he comes with expectancy, and, and he comes with boldness, but there's this amazing tension when you come to the Lord because you have to remember that he is still king of kings and lord of lords. And we're not. And so, yes, we can come with boldness. Yes, we can approach his throne of grace and find mercy in our time of need. Yes, we are to come in faith. Yes, we're to take a risk. But let's never forget he's God and we're not. And so uh, there's a certain amount of humility that should mark coming into his presence. Uh, and, and this humility mingled with faith and boldness, is, it's an interesting concept. I'll tell you where else you see it. You see it in the three Hebrew guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those guys? I used to tell that story to my kids. It was Shadrach, Meshach, and Tibet we go. And you, you can steal that. That'll work, okay? And, uh, and you remember the story. They were, they were Daniel's friends, and uh, the, the king trying to get them to kneel down and worship the idol and they wouldn't do it and so the king says no if you don't do it we're going to heat up the fiery furnace seven times hotter than it's ever been we're going to throw you into the fiery furnace and they're like no we're not going to bow to any idol and so there they are at the edge of the fiery furnace and the king gives them one last chance and uh and one of them pipes up with these words and i love this boldness mixed with humility he says our god is able to deliver us and he will that's boldness. That's faith. But then he says this, but even if he doesn't, we will serve no other God. That's humility. You see, when we come to Jesus for healing, we can say, Jesus, you are my healer. You are willing. I believe you will heal. But even if you don't, even if I don't experience healing the way I'd like at this side of heaven, I will worship no other God. You are my Lord. You are my King. I worship you. I adore you. There is no other. And that's the humility, I think, that this leper demonstrates. Well, there's a fourth thing. Fourth thing I see from the leper is that it results in obedience. It results in obedience, okay? Um, in this passage, in the fourth verse, Jesus gives this man some instructions. Now, let me explain culturally what's going on. Now that he's healed and cleansed of his leprosy, there are some ceremonial things he had to go through to be restored to his faith community, to his family, uh, to his home. And, and so he's instructed to go do these things. But, but here's the point I want you to get. 
healing is never an end in and of itself. Jesus always means it to get us to a greater level of obedience, a greater level of service. And, and so when we come to the Lord, you should expect Him, yes, to touch you, yes, to heal you. But He's after more than a healthy body. He's after more than healthy emotions. He's after people who will be on mission with Him and walk in obedience and understand that He's not just our healer, He's our Lord, He's our King, He's our Master. And so I think it's good when we come for healing to come in faith, to come recognizing His power, an attitude of worship, to come and request in humility, but to also have it in our heart, Jesus, where you lead me, I will follow. Wherever you tell me to go, I will go. Whatever you tell me to do, I will do. And you position your heart in a place of obedience before the Lord. And so the leper does these things. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to pray for people tonight. And again, some of you here tonight, tonight's your night to receive. And we're going to pray for you. Now, uh, I'll tell you ahead of time, I'm not going to make you come to the front. We're not going to have a healing line. Um, when we get to the end of this talk, I'm going to have you stand right where you're at. Now, there is a certain amount of risk because you have to say by standing, I need Jesus to touch me. And then your brothers and sisters are going to turn and pray for you right where you're at. But before we do that, we need to train the ministry team. And so let's look at Jesus and how he ministers healing because there's no one that ministers to broken people the way he does. And so we can learn how to pray better by looking at his model. Uh, the first thing we see uh, in the ministry of Jesus here is he responds to this broken, hurting, wounded man with incredible compassion. And in fact, one of the first things that he does is he reaches out his hand and he touches the man. Now, please understand this context, this cultural moment. When this great teacher touches a man with leprosy, I believe there was an audible gasp from the multitude. <gasps> what is he doing? Doesn't he know this man has leprosy? Doesn't he know what Leviticus chapter 5, verse 3 says, that if anyone touches him who is unclean, even if he's unaware of it, both will be defiled. And so what Jesus did was in essence a violation of the old covenant. But folks, I want you to hear something. Jesus is here showing a major difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Because in the old covenant, when the clean touched the unclean, both were defiled. But in the new covenant, Jesus calls the clean to touch the unclean and both are made whole. You see, you and I aren't to run away from the unclean, we're to run to them. The old covenant, they ran away to protect themselves. No, no, no. New covenant, we're to run to the broken. We're to run to the oppressed. We're to run to the, the lepers. And we reach out and we touch them. And the cleansing power of Jesus makes both clean. Now, let me tell you another reason why I think he touched him. You see, you know, I, I said this, I think, today in this seminar. Jesus healed in multiple different ways. In fact, I think one of the reasons Jesus heals in many different ways is he doesn't want us to get stuck in a method. He wants us to rely on intimacy uh, in every situation. But he could have healed at a distance. You know, this guy was causing such a commotion. He could have said, look, buddy, you're causing a riot in the crowd. I'm going to get hit with one of these rocks that they're throwing at you. So I want you to go over on another other mountain and I'm going to shout the healing word to you. He could have done that. Um, but he doesn't. And one of the reasons I think he doesn't is because this man probably had not experienced the warmth of human touch in years. 
And when he feels the hand of Jesus reach out and touch him, I think there's as much emotional healing as there is physical healing. I think all of a sudden he is feeling the love and the compassion that he has been starved for. And friends, listen to me. I think the most important quality in the ministry of healing is not power, it's compassion. And I think one of the reasons why healing ministry has fallen into disrepute in the church is that we've tried to lead with power instead of leading with compassion. You see, not everyone we pray for, this side of heaven is going to get healed, but everyone we pray for is going to get loved. And when you teach a ministry team to love people and have compassion on people the way Jesus did, then whether they get healed or not, they're going to walk away going, that was good. That was good. That person loves me. That person has compassion on me. And I'll be honest, I have seen more power flow when compassion leads than when power tries to lead. And so the compassion of Jesus is what we've got to start with. Again, please hear me. When you love people, when you genuinely love them, and they come to you for prayer and they've got a a broken leg or a messed up shoulder, and you begin to love them and you begin to bless them and you begin to speak affirmation and encouragement and the heart of God to them, their knee and their shoulder becomes a secondary issue. And, And yes, we want healing to happen, but you know, more importantly, we want them to encounter the love of Jesus. And, and I think healing ministry is an opportunity for the compassion of Christ to touch people's hearts so that they feel loved for the first time in years. And again, healing then becomes kind of a secondary issue. And so Jesus responds with compassion. Second thing we see in this passage is he responds with desire. He responds with desire. To the leper's humble request, if you are willing, Jesus shows us the desire of God, the heart of God, and let me push you a little bit, the will of God to heal the sick. How does he respond? He says, I am willing. Now, friends, I want to tell you, I believe this is more than just a situational response. I believe that Jesus is manifesting the heart and the will of God to heal broken, hurting people. You see, we know it's the will of God to forgive sin. Sin is a result of the fall. I want to tell you something else. I believe it's the will of God to heal sickness. I believe it's always his will to heal. Why do I say that? Because in heaven where his will is done perfectly, there is no sickness. Everybody's healed. And Jesus commissioned us to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. And here's where I usually offend my reformed friends. Not everything that happens this side of heaven is God's will. And we are fighting a battle where we're seeing this whole, the fruit, the corrupt fruit of the kingdom of darkness all around us. That is not the will of God. You know what his will is? That his rule, his reign, his forgiveness, his grace, his healing would come. And so I believe it is God's will to heal. Now, I don't think we're going to see everyone we pray for healed this side of heaven. But here's what I want to address. There are some people that embrace sickness as if it's God's will for them. Oh, no, I I just think it's God's will for me to be sick because I've grown so much as a result of this. Folks, listen, God is able to redeem anything Satan throws at us. It just doesn't mean it's his will. And so I think we're called to fight not only sin, 
I mean, you don't hear people say, I think it's God's will for me to sin. Because I've learned so much from the sins I've committed, you know? No! And the truth is, we do learn when we sin. We, we, we find that our God is even able to redeem our willful rebellion. He redeems it and uses it to discipline us and help us grow. But listen, I'm never going to attribute sin to a holy God. And I'm, t- I'm going to tell you what, I'm never going to attribute sickness to a healing God. And so I, I'm not saying that everyone we pray for is going to be healed, but listen to me, I'm going to fight sickness with everything I have. I'm going to fight it with medicine. I'm going to fight it with the doctors. I'm going to fight it with prayer because I believe that it's something that marks this fallen world. And when we get to heaven, we're not going to have to deal with it anymore. There's a quote I want to show you from A.B. Simpson. And he was addressing this issue of people that said, you know, I I think it's God's will for me to be sick. Look what he says here. He says, if those who urge and claim to practice this suggestion that it is God's will for them to be sick would really accept their sickness and lie passively under it, they would at least be consistent. But do they not send for the doctor and do their best to get out from under the sweet will of God? (laughs) Now that's funny right there. This is an old guy, you know, from the early uh, 1900s being a little sarcastic. He's saying, look, if you really believe it's God's will, what's all that medicine you're taking? And why do you run from doctor to doctor? It, it, you know, you'd be more consistent with your theology if you just die. <laughs> That's my paraphrase, okay? But friends, do you understand that there are people in a distorted theology that have embraced sickness as if it's God's will and they brought a curse upon themselves? And, and they might run to the doctor and take all kinds of prescription medication, but when it comes to, let's pray and ask God. There was a king in the Old Testament by the name of Asa. And it says that Asa was wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, Second Chronicles 15. The problem is Asa had some blind spots. He did not tear down all the high places. And in his old age, he was afflicted in a disease of the feet. And it says this, though he was wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, he only sought the advice of physicians and did not inquire of the Lord. And the result is he died in his sickness. Uh, Folks, listen. Uh, I think we should inquire of God. I think he should be the God of the first resort, not the God of the last resort. But I think we need to fight sickness with every resource he's given us. Medicine, doctors. But I want to go to him first. But I don't want to ever embrace this as God's will. Now, in the midst of it, are we going to learn some lessons? Yes, he redeems it. But let's not make the confusion of embracing it as if it's something he brought upon us. It's his desire to heal. All right, the third thing I see in this passage is he responds with power. When Jesus touches this man and he heals him, in this moment, he's instantly healed. Now, can you imagine that? If you've ever seen lepers, often their appendages have been affected. They're missing fingers. Some of them are missing noses. This guy, his skin is cleansed. There was restoration instantly. I mean, that would have been awesome to see. Now, there are other healings that are progressive. They're not as instantaneous. Uh, In fact, in Mark chapter 8, there's this really cool story of a blind man. And if you remember, um, that's the story where Jesus spits in the guy's eye. Remember that? We're not going to do that tonight. Uh, (laughs) Please, please don't. Um, (laughs) Which, which by the way, have you ever wondered why did he do that? Well, in, in that culture, often blind beggars were spat upon as an act of derision, as an act of mocking. And so this blind man, as he begs on the street, had probably heard this sound many times before. (laughs) 
And he's thinking when he hears it again, here we go again. But then Jesus takes what the culture had used to mock him and he puts it in his eyes to heal him. Again, as much emotional healing as physical healing. But in that story, he prays for the blind man. And after he's prayed for a few moments, he stops and he says, what do you see? And the blind man says, oh, I see these trees. They look like men walking around. And Jesus correctly discerns we're not done yet. And he prays again. Now, we can read that passage in about 30 seconds, but do you know that Jesus had incredible patience? That might have been a whole afternoon with that man. And the the healing that we can read about in 30 seconds, we know there was a progression to it, but what if it took five hours and not just 30 seconds? Do you think Jesus had that kind of patience to stay with somebody and pray through until it came? And so I I believe he has the power to heal instantaneous, but here's why I bring that to, to, to light. I think we need to ask and keep on asking, knock and keep on knocking, seek and keep on seeking when it comes to healing. And that's why soaking prayer teams can be very beneficial in the life of a church where we pray for people in an ongoing way because it's his desire to heal and he has the power to heal. I'll share a story about that. Um, I was teaching divine healing at the seminary a few years ago and there was a young man in my class at the seminary. His name was Matt, Matt Murphy. And Matt's given me permission to tell this story in all of its ugliness, okay? And Matt was a guy who had grown up and gotten saved in a church that taught healing was not for today, a cessationist church. And, uh, but Matt made one mistake. He fell in love with and married a Pentecostal girl. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and so they knew they were called to ministry and he said to her, well, I'm not going to your Pentecostal seminary. And she said, well, I'm not, you're not going to go to the cessationist seminary. And they said, all right, let's go to Alliance. They're kind of the middle ground, okay? Which the good thing about being the middle ground is you get walked on by both sides, all right? Um, and so, so they show up at, at ATS, and, um, and he was finishing his, his master's, and he was actually coaching our basketball team, uh, assistant coach, and he messed up his knee. He tore his patella, he tore another ligament, and, um, and so it's January term, and uh, he's in my divine healing class. And here's how he gets, gets in my divine healing class. His wife said, hey, you need one more class to fill an elective. I want you to take Dr. Walborn's divine healing class. He goes, I don't believe in that. She said, I know. That's why you're taking it. <laughs> so here's Matt. He's in my divine healing class on crutches with a knee brace. And he's sitting in the back and he's not taking any notes because he doesn't believe this. And he's sitting there like this. He's putting up with it, Okay. And uh, he sits there Monday. It's an intensive. He sits there Tuesday. On Tuesday, I said, all right, we're done with class. You have to leave. If you have to leave, you can, but we're going to pray for healing if you want to stay. Well, Matt gets on his crutches. He heads for the parking lot. He's not staying. He doesn't believe in this stuff, okay? And if he doesn't have to stay, he's not going to stay. So he gets to the parking lot. He's getting ready to get into his car. And for the first time in his life, he hears God speak to him. And he hears God say, Matt, if you'll go back in there, I'll heal your knee. And to his credit, he wheels around. He goes back in on his crutches, okay? He comes right up to the front of class. I'm up in the front with some people. And he goes, "Uh, hey, Ron. He said, God just spoke to me. And he said, if I would come back in here, he would heal my knee. And I went, no pressure, okay? (laughs) Thanks, God. So he sits down in a chair in the front of the class. He takes off his knee brace. and, And we start to pray for him. And so we laid hands on his knee, and, and I remember what we prayed. We prayed this prayer. Father, let your kingdom come. 
Let your will be done in Matt's knee as it's done in heaven. Let heaven invade this knee. And as soon as we started praying, Matt felt heat in his knee. He said, my knee just got really hot. And, uh, and I, I moved my hand. And when I moved my hand, his knee started moving. And I go, Matt, look, look at that. And his jaw was like down here. And I go, what's going on? He goes, I don't know. I think Jesus is restructuring my knee, you know. And literally his knee was just shaking and quaking. And uh, nobody was touching it. And so we were just going, Ma Senor, okay? <laughs> Fuego, you know? <laughs> you know, more Lord. And, and nobody touched it. We just said, Lord, more. And it kind of shook. And he said he felt heat. And after about five minutes, it stopped. And he starts moving it. And then nobody to- told him to do this. He gets up and he starts jumping up and down. And then he goes crazy. He runs out of the classroom, and we have stairs in the middle of the seminary. He starts running up and down the stairs. And the whole class goes out, and we're watching this guy leave his knee brace and his crutches in the classroom. He's running up and down the stairs, and he's running so violently. I'm like, hey, Matt, take it easy. Don't hurt your other knee, okay? So here's how the story ends. Matt is now a Christian and Missionary Alliance pastor. We stole him for the glory of God. And, uh, and, and uh, he was on staff at Princeton Alliance for a long time, and I saw him at a district conference, and I said, hey, Matt, how you doing? He goes, great. I said, how's your knee? He goes, it, it feels amazing. He said, and every time I get to preach, I tell the story of God healing my knee. I go, every time? He goes, yep, last week I preached on stewardship. <laughs> I closed with the story of Jesus healing my knee. I go, really? How'd that work? He goes, it was great. We had a huge offering and people got healed too. So, <laughs> But folks, listen. I believe tonight when we pray, y- you need to hear me. Jesus is here tonight. He's the same Jesus from Matthew 8. He's the same Jesus that healed Matt. And our Jesus can heal you too. And I believe his power is here. And so the, the third thing we see is to respond with an expectation that his power can come. And then finally, respond with priorities. Again, I've already touched on this, that healing is not an end in and of itself, that make sure that you are giving good advice in terms of where do we go from here about discipleship, about commitment, about surrender, about destiny, about obedience. And and so make sure that the priorities are in line when you're ministering to people. Um, If they need to be led to Christ, lead them to Christ. And and so respond with priorities. Because again, God wants more than a healthy body. He wants your life. He wants it all. Let me tell you one last story, and then we're going to pray. So it was on a Saturday, and I was uh, pastoring Risen King, was the name of our church in California. And I was in Costco doing grocery shopping. I'm a good husband. I like the grocery shop. Um, And I like the grocery shop because I buy everything my wife puts on the list and everything I want, too. (laughs) Yeah, I heard an amen there. Um, and so I'm, I'm in Costco, and I'm, I'm getting ready to check out with my groceries. It's Saturday afternoon, and I'm standing, I'm putting my groceries on the conveyor, and all of a sudden, I feel a tap on my shoulder. And I look back, and it's a young couple. Uh, they're standing there, and uh, they say, uh, excuse us, we're sorry to bother you, but um, are you Ron Walborn? And I went, yeah, I'm Ron. And they said, are you the pastor at that church north of town called Rhythm King? I called it Rhythm King. And I went, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Proving that I didn't have rhythm. And, uh, and they said, well, listen, 
we're not Christians. We don't go to church anywhere. But we're desperate. And the man was talking and he said, my wife has been diagnosed with cancer and we have been asking people if they know of a church that believes in prayer for healing. And today here at Costco, somebody pointed at you and said, that guy, go to that guy's church tomorrow. <laughs> they believe in healing and they'll pray for you. And so, so they come up to me in Costco and they go, um, if we come to your church tomorrow, will you pray for healing? And I go, well, yeah, but I got good news for you. You don't have to come to church to get prayer. They go, really? I go, yeah, we can pray right here. You can sleep in tomorrow. <laughs> I have to go. They pay me to go. <laughs> but you don't have to come to church. <laughs> now you think, what a terrible pastor you were. But you got to understand, I did not want them to think if they did the religious thing that God would love them. You know, I wanted them to know that God loved them right there in Costco. And, uh, well, they go, well, okay. And so I said, well, let me finish paying for my groceries and then we'll pray. So we're standing, this is in Redding, California. We're standing at the end of the conveyor line. And, uh, and I, I'm trying to explain to them what we're going to do. I said, all right, I'm going to lay my hand on your wife's shoulder. Why don't you lay your hand on her other shoulder? Uh, I know you guys don't know Jesus, but he really loves you guys. And I started to cry. I said, he's been waiting to meet you. And he's more excited about touching you guys than, than you're about, you know, you're, you're excited to be touched. And, and he's here. And uh, I put my hand on her shoulder and I said, come Holy Spirit. Now today in the seminar, we learned that the Holy Spirit is active in the world, not just in the church, that actually Jesus said he was going to be sent to the world, that he's active in the lives of your non-Christian friends. And so I say, come Holy Spirit. And the presence of God comes on this woman in Costco. Her eyelids start trembling. She's weeping. She starts shaking, okay? The power of God comes on her in Costco. And so I'm like, yeah, okay, <laughs> woo, okay? And I'm feeling his presence, and I'm like, yes, Lord. And, and as I'm praying, I close my eyes at one point, and all of a sudden I feel her fall. She starts to fall, and, and so her husband and I awkwardly catch her and lay her to the ground, and as, as she's going to the ground, her husband yells, Hallelujah! And I look at him and I go, I didn't think you went to church. He goes, I don't. I watch TV. <laughs> okay, so now this woman's on the ground in Costco on a Saturday afternoon. The place is packed. And I look up and we're down there trying to pray. And I see the manager of Costco. His name was Danny Martinez. He went to our church and he's putting orange cones around us. <laughs> and he's directing traffic. He's like, it's all right. It's my pastor. Don't call 911. It's God. It's all right. And so now people are joining us. We have a prayer meeting breaking out in Costco, okay? I, I tell my students in New York, don't try this in the Bronx, okay? <laughs> and, uh, and, and so we're praying for this lady. Well, listen, I'll, I'll make a long story short. They came to church the next day. They joined our Alpha group. They got saved in Alpha, gave their lives to Jesus. Incredible testimony. Her cancer went into remission. Um, and the best part of that story, though, is six months later, they come to me, and they, they say, Pastor, Jesus has done so much for us. Our lives will never be the same. We've decided we want to give him our lives completely. I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, we sold our business, and we're moving to Baja, California. There's an orphanage there, and we're going with youth with a mission, and we're going to work with the orphans. Folks, that was 23 years ago. They're still working 
with why when they're still working with orphans. Why? Because it's not just about healing. He wants it all. And he'll use healing to bring his rule and reign to a person's life so that they can experience the destiny that God has for them. And he wants to do that in us, each one of us. So tonight, Peter, would you come on up? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And and I want to remind those of you that are going to stand to respond in faith, to recognize his power, to request in humility, let it result in obedience. And so here's what we're going to do. Um, In in just a minute, I'm going to ask you, if you're like, you know, I can relate to the leper. I think tonight is my night to receive. And I I really hope (laughs) that we have some people left to pray. Um, I was at a church one time and I preached this and the entire church stood for prayer. (laughs) I go, okay, everybody just lay your hands on one another, okay? (laughs) We're going to have the sick healing the sick, okay? Um, But but for those of you that are like, yeah, uh, tonight's... uh, I want to receive and I want to take a risk so here's what I'm going to have you do in just a minute I'm going to have you stand and I'm going to have you lift your hand and let me tell you why I'm going to have you lift your hand because I ask the ministry team to come to you I don't want you to put your hand down until someone lays their hand on your shoulder and lets you know that they're with you and then you can put your hand down And so, ministry team, I want you to look around and make sure nobody is alone. So if you see somebody standing and their hand's still up, go to them. And and don't be afraid. Some of you are going, I've never prayed for anyone before. Well, this this is your night. This is your night. I just got back from Cuba, and one of the girls in my divine healing class told me, she said, look, I'm taking this class, but I've never prayed for anyone before. And all week long, I'm pushing her. Get out there, get out there, get out there. On the last night, she was praying for a Cuban woman who had major intestinal issues, was in intense pain, and this woman starts screaming, Gloria, adios, I'm healed. And this girl looks at me and she says, Jesus healed somebody through me. And she looked at me and she goes, I'm going to be praying for people for the rest of my life. And so tonight, for some of you that have never prayed, tonight's your night. You're going to start to pray. And I believe that God's going to show you that he wants to use you in this ministry. So, If you're in need of prayer, here's what I want you to do. Just stand right where you're at and just lift your hand so that we know that you're in need of prayer. Okay? That's right. Jesus sees your faith. He, He knows that for some of you it took a lot of courage to stand up lift your hand. He sees your faith. He hears those voices in your head that scream at you. Why are you trying to get near to Jesus? He hears the rocks that have been thrown at you and and he applauds your faith. He is more excited that you've come to him tonight than you're excited that you've you've come. So Lord, we bless this act of faith that our brothers and sisters have taken by standing. Now, those of you around them, I want you to go to them. If you see somebody standing with their hand up, I just want you to go and I want you to lay your hand on them. And as soon as you feel a hand touch you, you can put your hand down. And so that's how we know that everybody has somebody. So if you see them with your hand up, go to them. Go to them. Don't leave anybody alone. Don't leave anybody alone. 
There's a, a brother right here with his hand up. There's a couple people. Come on, just go to them. Just go to them. And don't start praying. We're not going to pray yet. There's a couple guys in the back that need somebody. Make sure somebody gets with them. And as soon as you feel somebody is with you, you can put your hand down. That's good. There's a there's a somebody right here. The sister has her hand up. Make sure that somebody gets with her. Nobody's with you yet? Okay. Somebody lay your hand on this. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Make sure nobody's alone. Now, as, as you feel that hand go upon you, I want you to know this. You are not alone. You are loved by God. You are loved by Jesus. We bless you with the compassion of our Lord right now. And I want you to feel the compassion of your brothers and sisters. We're with you. And right now, we're going to get our eyes off our dysfunction, our disease, our disorder. And we're going to get our eyes on Jesus. And before we pray, we're going to worship him. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We exalt you. We exalt Jesus in this place right now. So Peter, would you just lead us in a a course of worship? Let's exalt him. Then we'll pray.